We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 3 as we wrap up our summer series today on the church. And as we turn our attention to our August series on the Sabbath. We've been saying through the summer that the church is the visible presence in this world of the promised and coming king and his kingdom. We've been saying that the church is, in fact, a place on earth. It is the presence on earth of the king and his kingly reign. We have described that place upon the earth as an enduring place, founded as it is upon the unchanging, steadfast love of the Lord. It is a transforming place, a place that by the glory of God's love revealed in Jesus Christ actually changes us from the inside out. It is a displacing place. It is a place of loving unity. A place in which we truly test and truly name the reality of the world in which we live. This is where we actually get to be known truly and loved truly. This is where we actually get to know others truly and love others truly. It is a lovely place. But it is a lively place, as we were reminded, because it consists of sinner saints. It is a boundless place, held and guided and shaped by the boundless word of our cosmic potentate himself. And it is a holy place. A place that, because of all these things, is in a class all its own, made of materials which are themselves in a class all their own. Our world knows much of sinners, and our world has a theoretical inkling of something called a saint. But only in the church of Jesus Christ do you find that thing known as a sinner saint. It's in a class by itself. Today I want to gather all of that up and summarize it for us in a word, if we can. And if we were to do that, we would say that the church is the powerful place of Christ's own peace. Indeed, the powerful place of Christ's own peacemaking. Remember, this is the great purpose that Christ declares of his own mission. That he came to make all things new, to reconcile all things in his body, things in heaven, and things upon the earth, to put them back in their rightful place, in their rightful relation, for their rightful function, 
that the glory of the Lord may be known, that life in His world would flourish. And so that's what we want to look at a little bit today as we read from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, chapter 3, we're beginning reading with verse 12 and read through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let us give thanks to Him. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, for this, Your word that we have before us in our own language, Father, we give You thanks because that alone is evidence of Your tenderness your compassion, your kindness, your great humility, your great love for us, that you would stoop to lisp the wonders of your glory in such a way that we with our feeble and fickle minds may understand. So Father, by your Spirit now we pray that you would feast us upon this, your word, that we may behold the glory of your love in Jesus. We pray that you would bring clarity uh, to these lips, guard them from speaking error. And Father, in it all, feast everyone in this room upon the wonder of it all, that we may be changed. For we pray it in Jesus. Amen. Dennis Hack is a friend of mine that I knew when I was in seminary, and years ago, back in the early 80s, he and his wife founded a ministry in um, Minnesota uh, entitled Ransom Fellowship. The tagline is uh, deepening discipleship and developing discernment. I would encourage you to visit the website and get on their mailing list. Dennis and Marjorie are um, have some pretty amazing ways of engaging the culture with the gospel and teaching others to engage the culture with the gospel. Ransom, Dennis and uh, Ransom Fellowship publish a magazine once a month entitled Critique. And recently he wrote in an article, he, he opened the magazine with an, uh, an article entitled Reality and current events. We can say a lot about the title itself, 
Because aren't they the same thing? Aren't current events, in fact, our reality? But in this article, Hack speaks about the reality of the kingdom that is made visible and is practiced in the hospitality of the king among his people. The invitation of the king, the welcome of the king, the embrace of the king into his very household, into his very presence as the reality that is made visible in the church. This hospitality, when offered and practiced by faith as a continuing act of worship in celebration and participation of our Father's great love, is nothing less than the revelation of our world's realer reality. That is, the loving invitation and welcome and embrace of our Father at His table. In that article, he quotes Henry Nguyen, who back in the early 70s wrote this. In our world full of strangers estranged from their own past culture and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful, and we might even say a violent, search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. Although many, we might even say most, strangers in this world become easily the victim of a fearful hostility, it is possible for men and women an obligatory for Christians. Let me just underline that. Obligatory for Christians. To offer an open and hospitable place, space where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. The movement from hostility to hospitality is hard and fraught with difficulties. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. But still, this is our vocation. To convert the hostis into the hospice. To convert the hostility into the hospitality. The enemy into a guest. And so to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. A quote comes from Henry Nguyen in Reaching Out. Brothers and sisters, this is our call. And this is what is in view in our passage. This 
this exhortation that we find in the heart of our passage to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts is nothing less than the exhortation to let the culture of Christ's character, the culture of Christ's loving and generous invitation and welcome and embrace be that which characterizes us. The language here of peace is The background for it is saturated. The aroma of it is a Hebrew aroma. It is not a Greek aroma. And it has in view not simply the cessation of hostilities, but the cultivation of human flourishing and love. Paul is exhorting the Colossians To be a people in Colossae in whom the peace of Christ visibly reigns. It's a tall order, but it is the crown jewel, if you will, of the beauty of Christ's church. It's at the center of of this chiasm. This chiasm, some of you might remember, is a structure in Hebrew thought in which the main point is found in the center and then it's framed by expanding um, by a sort of ripple effect so that you have similar ideas at the beginning and at the end. And if you look at verse 12, you find this. Put on then. Put on then what? Well, he then goes on to describe, and we'll come to this in a moment, he goes on to describe this, these character traits that, ought, that we ought to be putting on. The language there is like putting on clothing. But the passage ends with this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. Having put on the character of Jesus, we are now wrapped in Jesus. You see, in the beating heart of this, the visible evidence that this is in fact happening is that the peace of Christ increasingly characterizes the fellowship of His people. This is why when we take vows of membership, we vow to work and study the peace and purity of the church. Because the peace of Christ is a purifying peace. The purity of Christ is a peaceful purity. He says, let the peace of Christ. He says, put on these things. It's important that we note here that we are not responsible to actually create these things because they, in fact, are Christ's. It is by His Word that these things come into being, as we were reminded just a couple weeks ago. It is by the power of His Word that He calls all things into being. It is by the power of His Word that He calls us from death to life. It is by the power of His Word that He makes us his friends having been his enemies. 
And so Paul is not saying, okay, now you do this. He is saying, take these things that Christ has granted to you and put them on. Participate in what Christ is doing. Already. So what are we to put on then? More specifically, as we, as we put the, the uh, refracting lens up to this language of peace of Christ, what do we find? Well, we find that it consists of compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We find that it involves bearing with one another. We find that it involves, if one has a complaint against another, actually talking to others about it and going and making them pay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I often do that. I find that I, I come to the Word and I find in the Word that which I want to find there and not what is actually there. Read with me again. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, what? Must forgive. It's an indispensable part of the peace of Christ. But here is the real kicker. Some of us might be saying, I'm kind of compassionate. I'm more compassionate than most. At least I was more compassionate this week in traffic. Kindness. I'm kind of, I'm a kind guy. Humble. I'm very humble. Look at me. Meekness. We're good people. We're from Lake Wobegon. We're all above average. But notice this. Paul, in his next sentence, qualifies it. In effect, he's saying, oh, by the way, this is not just any old compassion. This is not just any old kindness. This is not just any old humility. This is not just any old meekness, any old patience. This is a holy compassion, a holy kindness. It is, in fact, loving. Above all of these, over all of these, put on love. All of these things are characterized by love. The world has a notion of what compassion is. The world does not have a notion of what loving compassion is. The spirit of the age that that swarms around us and within us has a notion of what kindness is, especially here in the South, but does not have a notion of what loving kindness is. It has a notion of what meekness is, but it does not have a notion of what loving meekness is. It has a notion of what patience is, but it does not have a notion of what loving patience is. This point is actually easier to make in Japanese. 
because the word for patience in Japanese means gritting your teeth and just putting up with it. But the notion of Christ's loving patience is not like that at all. It's a joy to give another space and time to grow. Which is why we need to lovingly bear with one another. And this is why when one another, when we have a complaint against one another, why we are called to lovingly forgive. The biblical notion of love is always geared to the benefit, the welfare, the peace, the shalom, the flourishing of the other. We see this in John 3.16. For God so loved that He gave. That's the direction of biblical love. And so compassion is not so much that I get something out of it, but that you get something out of it. Kindness is not so much that I get something out of it, but that you get something out of it. Loving kindness is kindness that is geared to see the other's welfare growing and developing. Those are royal robes indeed. And this is why you see that love of God and love of neighbor is in fact the fulfillment and summary of the law. Because it is the fulfillment and expression of Christ's character, which is the character of our triune God's great love. You see, the life and ministry together of any given local congregation of Christ's worldwide church, of which we are a part, reveals that living in increasing harmony with the character of Christ in humble submission to the rule of Christ actually cultivates the peace of Christ which is the core of all true human longing and, of course, all true human freedom and flourishing. For the peace of Christ is the fruit of the love of Christ, which was sown in the cross of Christ and which is starting to grow by the resurrection of Christ. How? How does the love of Christ visibly cultivate the peace of Christ? How does this abstract notion of love visibly cultivate this abstract notion of peace in such a way that people can recognize it with their eyes of flesh and ears of flesh? How does the love of Christ visibly cultivate the peace of Christ in, in the life together of Christ's blood-bought people, sinner saints that we are? Well, by the word of Christ. Which is why the next line in keeping with Hebrew poetic style actually parallels the structure of the previous line. Verse 16 Verse 15, where he said that let the peace of Christ rule. In verse 16, 
in answer to the immediate question, how do you do that? Well, you do that by letting the word of Christ dwell in your heart. By the word of Christ, we see and hear the power of God, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, that converts our native hostilities toward him into a loving fellowship toward him and toward one another, and indeed towards the enemy. The word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why do we sing hymns? Do we sing hymns just because we like them and it makes us feel good? No. We sing hymns because they are cultivating in our hearts and minds patterns of thought with which we speak one to another. This is my Father's world. And so we do not need to be afraid. Though the wrong oft seems so strong, He is the ruler yet. And so we, we soak in the Word in order that the patterns of the world might shape the way we feel and think and speak and act so that we may in fact live with the courage of Christ. We may in fact live according to the wisdom of Christ. We may in fact feel and think and speak and act according to the truth of Christ, not least of which includes his bodily ascension and reign today. So that we can sing the patterns of Christ and so that, as Paul has said repeatedly in this passage, we may be a people of thanksgiving, not least for one another. You can see immediately the pastoral importance and urgency of Dr. Tate's message from several weeks ago. Do you remember that one? Naming right and naming truthful, tr truly. Because as the word saturates our hearts and minds, we actually come to understand what words truly name one another. What words truly name the circumstances in which we find ourselves. When we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts by the word of Christ shaping our conversation, we rightly see and rightly name the reality of one another, not according to what our eyes see and our ears hear, and certainly not according to the categories and the words that the spirit of our age gives us, but according to what they see and hear in the light and the hope and the joy of the resurrection. Now, brothers and sisters, I will tell you, that the spirit of the age that rules in your heart will resist this at every move because it will accuse you of being a simpleton and naive, even being an idiot. But to see one another, even to see our enemies as actually created in the image of God, as scriptures tells us that we are, 
changes the way we look at our enemies. It ought to. Because they are bearers of the image of our Father. And that is most certainly true of one another who bear not only the image of our Father by virtue of creation, but bear the image of Christ by virtue of our redemption. You see, brothers and sisters, the church is continuing proof. The local church is continuing proof, visible truth, visible proof, audible proof, in this world for times such as we find ourselves in, that in fact our God has heard, our God has seen, our God has acted. Read the new atheists. And their works are saturated with accusations that if your God were alive, he would be hearing us. If your God were alive, he would be seeing the agony and the hurt. If your God were alive, he would be acting. Brothers and sisters, we gather in this place as visible evidence to that accusation. He has heard. He has seen. He has acted. And he continues to act. I have a pop quiz for you. What do all of the following things have in common? Okay? What do all the following things have in common? The church, the local church, a telephone booth, a DeLorean, a wardrobe, a treehouse, a carpet bag, and platform nine and three quarters. What do they all have in common? You want me to read the list again? The local church, a telephone booth, a DeLorean, a wardrobe, a treehouse, a carpet bag, and platform nine and three quarters. Magical transportation to a different time, to a different place in which different rules apply. They are portals through which you step into different dimensions. Pop quiz number two. What's the difference between the local church on the one hand and a telephone booth and a DeLorean and a wardrobe and a treehouse and a carpet bag and platform nine to three quarters on the other hand? I'm sorry? The church is real. Do you understand what's happening here? When God's people gather together visibly in the name of Jesus, there materializes for eyes to see and ears to hear the kingdom of God upon the earth, the reign of the king upon the earth. 
the power of the risen king making all things new. There, step into it, taste it, see it, savor it, celebrate it. It's real. What is special about this portal that is a part of the warp and woof of God's creation is that it exists when the people gather in His name and then the portal disappears until they gather again in His name in another place. Until they gather again in His name in another place. So as people step in, they can actually step in and behold with their eyes of flesh the power of the gospel that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 1. They can actually see with their eyes of flesh the power of the peace of Christ reigning supreme. They can actually see this unique thing called sinner saints being made holy by the power of the word. They can see strange and mysterious things that they could never thought possible. Erstwhile enemies loving one another and enjoying fellowship at the table. Forgiveness happening with deep and abounding love. An invitation, a welcome, and a warm embrace into a new family they didn't think possible. Brothers and sisters, I will tell you, I had privilege several um, months ago um, to walk with a uh, woman who, um, for a long time, resisted being in the church. Most of us have spent most of our lives in the South, and we understand why. One day she came back to me after having spent a Sunday here. And she said, why are they so loving? Well, most of you know the kind of year that I have had as pastor. And I told her, I assure you, it is not because of them. said, what you're experiencing, what you're tasting, what you're seeing is the power of Christ's love. Because it is the power of Christ's love that takes sinners like you and me and binds us together as a whole new kind of humanity, as a manifestation of the rule of Christ's peace in this world. When she stepped into this fellowship, she actually experienced a strange power by which hostility was being converted to hospitality. She'd never experienced that before. And she said, why did I not come sooner? I said, because... It's too good to believe. The local congregation of Christ's worldwide church is a sort of magical portal into the peace of Christ. 
peace being the substance of Christ's reign, the sphere of Christ's reign, the result of Christ's reign. Brothers and sisters, as we visibly gather in the name of Jesus, a portal materializes into which we can actually step in order to taste and see and savor and celebrate the reigning king in his peaceable kingdom. It's better than fantasy. This is the realer reality of our world while they insist that we are idiots. Brothers and sisters, this is what the world longs for. Sinners gather together in a loving fellowship around the table of the Lord. Later this afternoon, we're going to be scattering to various houses for what is a tradition in our congregation called House to House Fellowship. And I will put a plug in if you are unfamiliar with House to House Fellowship. And if you um, have not made plans to be in one of the houses of this congregation for that fellowship, just seek me out or Laura is in the back wave, Laura. Seek Laura out, Laura DeWitt. Or you can seek Scott out who was up here and he'll be up here again. Just seek one of us out and we'll make sure that you get to go to House to House Fellowship. Not because... It's good food, although it's good food. Not because it's good fellowship. Because it's good fellowship. But because as we scatter from here and then gather in the name of Jesus around that table, we are actually tasting and seeing and celebrating the peaceable reign of Christ among us. And brothers and sisters, that is the one thing that we need. The one thing that our world needs. The reign of our risen Savior Jesus. So Jesus.